his way. Lord, we thank you for what you have done in this service, for your presence that has been here in such a powerful and dynamic way. And Lord, we are thankful for the work that you have done and the movement of your spirit. Lord, as we open up your word today, let it be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Let it order our steps. God, help us to walk in this light. Amen. Allow you to lead us and guide us and direct us the courage to take next steps to obey. We ask it in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Genesis, the book of beginnings, contains the accounts of the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's a lot of drama surrounding these families in the scripture. Uh, we see this borne out a lot in the life of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. A lot of drama surrounding this Rachel person. Um, Jacob worked seven years for the love of his life. Don't throw it, don't throw it. Just because you're here don't mean you can act like you're at home. Man, Jacob worked seven years for the love of his life, beautiful Rachel, only to be married to Leah. Works an additional seven years, and uh, having Leah and Rachel both as his wives gets a little bit more than he bargained for. Of course, the sibling rivalry that is there between Leah and Rachel, and then their children, in fact, even become pawns in their competition. The Bible says God sees that Leah is unloved, and so he opens up her womb, and she begins to have children. She has Reuben, and, and notice even the name. The Lord has looked upon my affliction, and Simeon, the Lord has heard that I am unloved, so he's given me this son also. Levi, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Judah, now I will praise the Lord. So it continues to be borne out year after year after year. Rachel is barren. She uh, envies the blessings that has been bestowed upon her sister. And eventually she would have two children, Joseph and Benjamin. The bad blood is between Lee and Rachel would be passed on to the next generation, tragically. Scriptures let us know that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his children. How many know that your parents love your sibling more than they do you? And so this, this son, this son of his old age, this doting love that he has for him that comes out in a coat of, of many colors, this favor of, of the father. And, and, you know, favor's not fair, I hear every once in a while. Yet, it doesn't mean just because somebody's favor doesn't mean everybody else is excited about it. Regarding Joseph's brothers, the text state that they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Of course, Joseph, there's fuel that's added to the fire. Joseph begins to share dreams of ascension, and, and it's the sheaves that, that bow. And, and the Bible says they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Or the celestial bodies, the Bible says they envied him. There's this reference to this jealous anger, and it is showing that their animosity toward him continues to increase. It continues to escalate. And eventually they respond. The Bible lets us know that they strip him of the symbol of the Father's love upon him. They strip him of this coat and they cast him into a pit. They would sell him into bondage and then they would go to the cover-up. They would kill a kid of the goat and they would take the tunic and they would dip it in blood. And, and the text in Genesis, the 37th chapter, says it like this. So they took Joseph's tunic 
They killed a kid of the goats and dipped the tunic in blood. They sent the tunic of many colors that they had brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? A question. Not a statement. Not, not an exclamation. Do you know, is this Joseph's? And he recognized it. And notice what he says. He said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn into pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters arose to comfort him. And he refused to be comforted and said, For I shall go down to the grave to my son in mourning. And the father wept for him. Now the years of Jacob's life would be heavily influenced by this one conversation that he has. It would influence his life. Notice his son's words. Hey, Dad, we found this. Do you know whether or not this is Joseph's? Just, you know, hey, we found this. Do you know whether or not this is Joseph's? And, and it's not the power of explanation. They're not asserting something. It is the power of suggestion. They have this suggestion here. They're not, do you know if this is Joseph's? And that is all it takes. What you do with the, the power of suggestion is you allow somebody else to draw their own conclusions. It's like, hey, we found this. What do you want to do about it? What, what do you think about this? They're not saying this is Joseph's coat. A wild beast has devoured him. We want you to know what has taken place. It's, no, no. It's the, the power of suggestion. And Jacob runs with it. Of course, this is the challenge of unhealthy communication, isn't it? <laughs> all of a sudden, it allows the brain to fill in all the blanks, all the missing areas. And, and, uh, and we start reading people's minds. Anybody ever read your mind? <laughs> You're like, no, that's was thinking a lot of things. That was not one of them. Or we even get upset at somebody. If I have to tell you, then what's the point? Or we hint. My wife is here, so I have to be transparently honest. I do not speak the language of hint. I just don't get it. it it's just sort of got to be out there. Don't, don't hit. Or insinuate, insinuation something and passive aggressive behavior. And, and you see what happens is this allows our flesh to fill in the blanks. It allows our past, our history, all of our experiences to sort of project onto the blanks that are left there. And here is, is Jacob and he's saying, uh, oh man, this is my son's. He's been torn to pieces. His sense is engaged. He sees and he handles it. He knows that this is Joseph's. And, and he smells the scent of Joseph and the powerful scent of death that is attached to the garment. And his fears and his insecurities begin to come out. And he says, Joseph has been torn into pieces without a doubt. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Doubt. This uncertainty, this lack of conviction. They're saying, I, I, have, I am certain this is what has happened. No hesitation, no question. In fact, Joseph, Jacob is convinced of what takes place, that he refuses to be comforted. He is determined. He makes up his mind. I am going to go to the grave mourning the loss of my son. Jacob accepts what has been presented to him, what he's observed, what he knows about life, and he allows it to shape 
his definition of what has transpired, and he allows it, he allows it to shape his future. Because he's going to start living based on his assumptions, based on the power of suggestion. One scholar says like this, it never dawns on Jacob that his sons are to blame for Joseph's tragic demise. In fact, by coincidence, he draws conclusions which his sons were prepared to give, but which he himself inferred first. They didn't even have to do it. Here, here's what he's saying, is that they were prepared to tell if they needed to, but they didn't even have to tell them the story. He just bought it and assumed it himself. Now, here's the truth. The truth is, Joseph is alive. He's not dead. Wild beast has not devoured him. He's on a trek, and it's going to be a long one. It's going to be an arduous journey from, from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison. Eventually, he will walk into the palace with Pharaoh, but, but it's a long journey. Eventually, we're going to discover that, that Joseph is going to be God's provision for the saving of his family, that, that they will go into Egypt, a family of 70, and they will be sustained for a horrible season in their life, but that God is going to bring them out a mighty nation. Here's how Genesis ends, Genesis 50, 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me. God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph could look back and when he looked back in the rear view mirror he realized that what people meant to destroy him and for good that God worked in it and out of it he became God's plan of provision. More than two decades later Jacob's sons would return from Egypt and here's what they would tell Joseph. They they would come in and in Genesis 45, 26. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words what Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts, he, they told him he saw the carts that Joseph sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. The sons of Jacob, this time, they come with the power of persuasion. They come asserting, hey, father, Joseph is alive. He, he's been made a ruler in Egypt. He, he's good. Uh, he's okay. And the Bible says that Jacob didn't believe a word they said. They weren't trying to just sort of... Uh, to, to come in and, and, and allow him to make up his own mind. It wasn't the power of suggestion. It was persuasion. They were asserting this. And Jacob, who believed his sons without a doubt when it came to the demise of Joseph, his faith struggled a little bit when it came here until he saw the carts and he saw what happened. Now, there's no wonder. Jacob had had a lot of disappointments in life. I mean, I, I would probably uh, be a little skeptical as well when, when uh, I planned on marrying Rachel and I married the wrong person. I, I'd probably been a little skeptical as well if I had run-ins with my father-in-law as he had with Laban. And then if, if I had some account, uh, interaction with the children that he had had. But, but eventually Jacob witnesses the evidence, the words of Joseph, the cards from Egypt, and he believes and the final verse is wanting you to know that when it's all said and done, God used all of these things to work mighty, mighty acts. Today, I want to talk to you about this doubt. 
Because too often we believe what the enemy wants us to believe. As we subtly allow the influences and the desires of our flesh, the desires of our the pride of life, we allow these things to shape and to fill in the blanks of life because many times we have as a default in our life doubt. Doubt is the default. Genesis 3.1, going all the way back to the beginning, the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field which the Lord made. Said the woman, has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice this. this uh, again, he's following that same way. He, he's asking a question. He's making a, a suggestion. And, and what happens is Eve begins to look at it. And she begins to see it. And it begins to attract her. And soon she is making her way there. And she begins to partake of it. That, that there are some times when doubt and skepticism might serve us well. In fact, here's what John 10.10 10 says. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Let me tell you, sometimes you should be doubtful. Is any time the enemy, any time the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, or the pride of life begin to creep up, you should automatically say, you know what, I doubt that. Anytime your insecurities begin to speak into your life, you should have a default of doubt and say, no, I, I don't think I'm just going to accept that. I don't think I'm just going to believe that. It's amazing how many times we accept suggestions and how highly responsive we are. It's like hypnosis. You know, hypnosis, uh, experts would say, only works to those who, who are open to suggestion. So as a result, they open themselves to that influence and the, the power of suggestion to work in their life. And I wonder how many times we find ourselves believing things that are not true, allowing our insecurities and maybe our past, the disappointments of our past, cause us to believe things that are not true in our lives. And we just automatically accept it. It's default. It's the natural thing to do. Two decades of Jacob's life are impacted by the power of suggestion and by manipulation. A generation later, Israelites would die in the wilderness. Why? Because ten spies bring back an evil report that they automatically just accept. And when they accepted it, it impacted their future. It wasn't that God wasn't great. It wasn't that God wasn't there. But he had people that by default, they doubted him. They doubted his word. They doubted his messenger. Isaiah, he instructs Hezekiah to put his house in order because he's sick unto death. And Hezekiah, he immediately received the prophecy. He, he immediately receives it and, and he pleads with the Lord for mercy so that Isaiah is, is instructed to return and tell Hezekiah he's going to add years to his life. So Hezekiah comes back and uh, Isaiah comes back and tells Hezekiah, the Lord's heard you, he's going to add years to, to your life. And here's what Hezekiah says, how do I know this is going to be true? I want you to show me a sign. His default when the prophet came into his life was to believe the negative. But when the same prophet, speaking for the same God, spoke favor I, I think I need a sign for that. I want the shadow to go back 10 degrees. Ink 
uh, you might know the Inc. Magazine uh, Incorporated. Here's what they say. They say dissatisfied customers typically tell 9 to 15 other people about their experience. And some will tell more than 20. That's from the White House Office of Consumer Affairs. A customer who has a negative experience is highly likely to share experience and leave a bad review. A customer with a positive experience is, is un unlikely to leave a, a feedback or give a review. In fact, here's what they said. One in ten happy customers leave a good review. One in ten. Ten percent. And he says that for every customer that leaves a, a it takes one of it, ten happy customers leaving a positive review. And, and it takes that to make up for Four, excuse me, you can figure it takes 40 positive customer experiences to make up for a single bad review. So if somebody gives a bad review, people are going to believe that and accept that automatically. And it's going to take a mountain of evidence contrary. Why? Because we have this default and many times doubt is our default. How, how about you? Think about your life. How many times have you believed a lie, an insinuation, a, 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 a manipulation, a deception, a suggestion, gossip, tailbearing? How, how many times have you believed something like that and accepted it? But when the preacher was preaching or teaching from the Word of God, you're like, I, I don't know. Preaching from the text. Or somebody spoke a prophecy or spoke positively in your life or talked about what God wants to do. And how, how many times in the back of your mind saying, oh, they're, they're probably just saying that. And somebody could come and tell you, share something with you that was horrific and we would, we would buy into that. Because too many times we accept the negative, the propaganda of our world without a doubt. And many times it is our doubt that limits God and His Word from having access in our life. Mark 6 says this, talking about Jesus. He went out from there and came to his own country. His disciples followed him, and the Sabbath had come, and he came to teach them the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? What, that, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with him? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus marveled. They hear him. They're astonished. Where does he get this? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the carpenter? They're offended him. And they begin to limit Jesus because they will not put their faith in him, their confidence in him, belief in his word, because they had this doubt to where Jesus goes on because he can't do the mighty works that he desired to do there because of their default of doubt. Today, I've come to call for a reset. Now, I'm here to tell you that default, the doubt should be default on some parts of your life. But many times, we've got, the, we've got a, the toggle messed up. We put doubt on the things of God, and then we just accept anything anybody else says to us. 
we just accept the latest gossip or tail bearing or somebody that's critical of us or, or something our brain talks about us. Oh, they were, they were smiling and giggling when they looked our way. They must have been talking about me. They must have been laughing about me. You know how they've always been. People have done this to me my entire life. Do you realize what happens? It's many times because of past experiences or other things in our life. We make this doubt, this default. We become this cynical and skeptical person. And yet, we bring that into the church. And we bring that into the Word of God. And we bring that to people who love us and care for us and want to see well. And we continue to doubt. I want somebody to set reset today and say, God, when it comes to your Word, when it comes to the church, I'm going to open up my heart because you have my best interest at heart. You have, you love me. You care for me. You want to see good things happen. You see, we should doubt the flesh. But too many times we are wide open to what our flesh tells us. And we doubt what God says to us. That's backward. The heart is deceitful. We talk about them from Jeremiah. Paul would say to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what God is trying to do every time that teaching and that preaching comes forward? God is trying to renew us. And it starts with our mind. It starts with getting things right where we see things as they really are. Where we're not believing a lie and being damned, but we're receiving truth and revelation and whom the sun sets free is free. Free indeed. Again, freedom is not to do whatever you want to do. That's not freedom. Freedom is to do what you were created to do. So if a train is blocked, it's not moving, and it's sitting there on the tracks, it's not free. But when the train goes down the tracks, it's fulfilling its purpose and its intended design, and it is free. It's fulfilling what it was created to do. It's not free if it goes off the tracks. It's not free if it goes down the mountain. It's not free if it does anything else. It's only free when it's doing what it was created to do. You know what the scripture is talking about freedom? It's not saying do whatever your heart desires. Follow your heart. It's not saying follow the desires of your eye or the pride of life. It's saying this. He set you free that you can do everything that he created you to do. You can do everything he designed you to do that God has purpose for your life and God will do everything to make that happen in your life what you can't do is allow your flesh allow your default of doubt to keep you from receiving what God has for you what does the scriptures truth say let God be true and every man be a liar who are you going to believe who are you going to trust I don't know about you but I've made up my mind I'm going to trust the word of God it is forever settled I'm going to trust the God we serve he is the same yesterday today and forever I'm going to have faith I'm going to believe I'm going to be open to receiving I'm going to believe the reports of the kingdom of God. But when I pick up my flesh is speaking, every time the desires of my eye, the desires of my flesh, the pride of life start speaking, I'm going to say, well, I doubt that. What would happen in the church if every time something entered your mind, some critical thought, some gossip, some talent, something from somewhere else. What would happen if our default was to say, I doubt that. I doubt that. 
How about the next time somebody comes up to you and starts criticizing somebody in the church? What if you just start saying, hey, I doubt that. Well, it could be true. Well, well then we need evidence. We need a sign. But I'm just going to doubt it because I know flesh. I know the manipulation of flesh. I know the deception of flesh. I just am going to doubt that. But I am going to believe God's word. That whenever I'm in the house of God and God begins to move, I'm going to say yes. Yes and amen. Verily, truly, amen and amen. Let it be according to his word. Hallelujah. You see, you've come here today and there's no doubt your flesh has been speaking to you. Because that's what our flesh does. How many will acknowledge you talk to yourself? I have the best conversations when I talk to myself. Because other people always mess those conversations up. You don't say what I think you're going to say or think you should say. And so when I'm playing it out in my head, I've got the conversation like, oh yeah, this is how it will end. And then I get to talking to a real person and they don't cooperate. And it's frustrating because all the arguments, all the good lines I had, it goes out the window because it just doesn't happen like my mind says it should. In counseling, you know how many times this bears out to be true? That we tell ourselves things that are not true. We even have terminology for this, like self-fulfilling prophecies and a variety of other things to talk. And what are all these? These are all a reflection of our fallen nature and of our flesh. And you know what the Lord wants us to do with that flesh? He wants us to put it on the cross and he wants it to die. He doesn't want that living. He doesn't want your flesh having the voice in your life. He wants you to walk in the Spirit and by the Spirit. He wants you to stand firm on the Word of God. And so you can say to anything and is in your flesh, well, I doubt I doubt that. I doubt that. But when God says, I believe it, he's the same. He, his word is true. He can be trusted. As I hurry, we, we've got to get a hold of the things that we should believe in. And we've got to switch that to faith. And when it comes to our flesh and our world, we've got to change that. To doubt, we got to toggle this. Ephesians 4, 14, that we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful folly. So let's, let's not that happen to us. We get back and forth with all these things. In fact, John 16, 33, it says when it comes to the world, he says you're going to have tribulation in the world. There are going to be things against you, so you should automatically say, you know, the world, the world's not my friend. <laughs> this world is not your friend. We do not live in a neutral world. We live where, where he is the prince of this world. We live spiritual wickedness. You want to talk about living in the real world? The real world is that we are in a spiritual battle. There's principalities, there's powers, there's spiritual wickedness. All these things are as real as the person sitting beside you. And we have to understand that there's one that's trying to steal, kill, destroy. Why would we believe anything that comes from him or is influenced by him? And why when we come to the house of God, would an anointed man or woman of God 
God begins to preach and teach the word of God, why wouldn't we accept what they have to say? I'm here to tell you, it is a trick of the enemy. He wants you to doubt everything God has for you, and he wants you to believe everything you're hearing in this world. Hey, don't get your truth from the internet. Don't get your truth from social media. Get your truth from a prayer meeting. Get your truth from the word of God. Get your truth from the body of Christ. That's where we go to have people speak into our lives. He says, I have overcome the world. And you will overcome. Why? Because greater is he that is in you. And he is in the world. So who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust what's in you or what's in this world? For whatever God is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that the that has overcome the world. First John 5, 4. Our faith. You want to overcome, you got to know what to believe and what to doubt. When it comes to the word of God and the spirit of God and the things of God, you have to say, God, I'm here. Direct me. Guide me. When it comes to the other things, you should have a healthy amount of doubt. I, I, I'm going to be very frank with you. I, I don't open my ears to anybody just to influence me. There's a lot of things in this world I'm just not open to being influenced. You say, well, man, you've already, you've already built up a resistance. Yes, I have. Most definitely have. Not open to it. Because I want to know where it's coming from. Don't want to know just what it looks like. Don't want to just know the packaging. I want to know where it's coming from. I want to know what motivates it, what's behind it. And so when I open up the word of God, I know that it is his inspired words. This is the God that loves me. And so I'm saying, God, I say yes. Remember that song when you sing yes, Lord? You say yes to God no matter what he asks. You trust God no matter what he asks because God knows best for you. This is not you got to believe it. No, you say, God, yes. Whether When God speaks, you just say, my default is yes, God. I might not know how it's going to happen. I might not know when it's going to happen. But God, I trust you. I trust you. We are not to be ignorant of how Satan attacks us and his devices. The Bible lets you know he can transform himself into an angel of light. We see this in the temptations of Jesus. We see it as Jesus goes through the temptations, modeling or coming after. Just like Eve had, just like Israel had in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus is in the desert 40 days. He is tempted. But he overcomes the desires of the flesh, the desires of life, the pride of life. And the Bible says that when he comes out, he comes out in the power of the Spirit. You know why a lot of times we don't have the spiritual power we need in our lives? Because we're believing and influenced by the wrong things. Jesus comes. Would you stand with me today? You see this throughout the scripture. Peter, they're talking about, well, when is his coming? We've heard about his coming. When is this going to happen? It, things continue on like they always have been. But Paul would say, the Lord himself will descend with the shout, with the trumpet. Then in Christ will be rising. We'll all be caught up together to be with the Lord in the air. We'll forever be with the Lord. Who are you going to believe? Who are you putting your faith into? 
You say, well, uh, a lot of bad things have happened in my life. And so it's, it's sort of a protective, a defense mechanism. I, I understand that. But God has never failed you. And don't project onto him what has happened in this world. Because that's exactly what the enemy would love for you to do. He'd love you to have doubt in the house of the Lord. This has got to be a place where we come. We lay aside our defenses. Because this is a safe place. God, I am in good hands. And I'm in your presence. Your spirit. And so do a reset today. Make doubt your default when it comes to your flesh, when it comes to this world. And make faith your default when it comes to the things of God. You don't have to understand it. To say, God, I'm just trusting you. This is your word. I want to understand it as it goes. I want to know you better. I want to see a knowledge and a wisdom of you. I'm, I'm going to understand it. But God, if you said it, I just trust you. Because Jacob, you filled in blanks because of the defaults of your flesh. And you lived for decades on a lie and grieving and mourning based on things that weren't true. Israel, a generation died in the wilderness because they believed something that wasn't true. The same people would watch the miraculous things of God. But that's how easily we can keep doubt as our default. That no matter what God has done, we can just keep it default. And can I say that God has already done enough in your life that you should trust Him and walk by faith for the rest of your days. He has already demonstrated who He is. So maybe today, I'm not talking to everyone. Maybe today, there's a certain number who the Lord wanted me to speak this to you. But I want to challenge you, whether you're an Urshan student, whether you are here at Preview Weekend, whether you're a parent. I just felt like this challenge. As we're talking about the future, and we're talking about life, and we're assessing, and we're thinking about what comes next. Again, this is not a ploy to say everybody needs to go to Urshan. Here's what I'm saying is listen to the Lord. And whatever He says, do it and trust Him. And whatever your flesh in this world says, first response, I doubt that. I doubt that. My trust is in God. Would you bow your heads? These altars are open if you'd like to come and respond. I, I believe there's some that need to. That your default has been on doubt in some of the wrong areas. And you put faith in the flesh and things of this world and negative things. And you need to hit a reset today. Oh, God bless these that are coming. You need to hit a reset and say, when it comes to the things of God, God, I believe. I'm going to walk by faith in you and your word. I'm not going to let my flesh or my past or my experiences cause me to miss out on what God is wanting to do in my life. 
I'm not going to fill in the gaps. I'm not going to do the devil's work for him. That, that just with a simple insinuation, I'm going to fill in that gap. No, God, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. Well, that's it. Let's call out to the Lord right now. Let's talk to him. Yes. Oh, God, I believe. I refuse to let this hijack my life. Refuse to let the past, I refuse to let negativity, I refuse to let darkness override the light that you want to shine in my life. Oh, let's call out to the Lord. Today.